Hi, I'm Bailey. And I'm Serena. Welcome to Season 3 of the Creative Baggage Podcast. In this episode, we talk to violinist and pastor John Adidum Littlejohn about the boxes we put ourselves in when making music or thinking about our careers. John shares his journey learning the violin without a private teacher, describing the freedom of not being told what was difficult or easy, as well as the freedom of not being constrained by a single genre. John brings these ideas into his own playing and teaching, showing us that our musical careers can also be free. Check, 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 check. We're getting sounds. Check, check. Okay. Seems to be, seems to be working. All right. Cool. And All we're right. live. All right, everybody clapped. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Cool. So we usually start with a little intro. If you want to just give everyone a brief overview of who you are and what you do. Okay. Well, my name is John, Adidam Little John. I'm a violinist. I'm a pastor. I'm an acoustic hip-hop artist and an educator. I live in Vancouver, British Columbia, originally from the States. And it's a it's a full life in music and ministry. Uh, it's literally all the four things I just named. I'm in those spaces pretty much every day. So it's a it's a it's a full life. I'm also a father of five. They're all uh, here right now. They're camping in the backyard. They we, we're we're on pretty heavy lockdown in Canada, so we have to get creative. And so they they set up a tent in the backyard and they're they slept there. They <laughs> I was like, no, not me, not tonight. <laughs> I love that. That's that's adorable. Cool. Yeah. So we met on the app Clubhouse, which we've been talking about a lot on this podcast. Um, And you have been probably one of, if not the most inspiring person we've met on there. And we've had so many amazing conversations. I actually don't even know where to start. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Well, it's mutual. Um, you know, like I said, I, I love uh, when when we're in the same room together talking, when you come to the stage and and the creative baggage rooms, um, the philosophical questions. It's just, yeah, no, you two are two of my favorite on Clubhouse. Aww. Absolutely. And it was a no-brainer. I felt so honored to be asked to be on Creative Baggage. <laughs> I've been hearing about it. And I'm like, I'm going to be on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to add it to my bio now. Yes, like, I'm please a pastor. Do. A violinist, acoustic hip hop artist, educator, <laughs> and a guest on Creative Baggage. Yes. <laughs> well, we just figured out how to embed like individual episodes on websites, so we'll definitely send you the code when it, once it's published, and awesome. you can put it up on your website so people would can love just to. Get yeah, and, and definitely we'll put it out on my my uh, social media. Yay! Yeah. Well, I would love to hear how your journey has developed to where you are now? Like, when did you decide you wanted to do music? And when did you pick up being a pastor? And like, how did those avenues of your life kind of evolve into where you're able to do all of them at the level that you want? Yeah, you know, I think the best way to say it for me is that I I let go almost immediately of an end goal. And I know it's so counter culture, what we talk about, you got to have a goal. And I have a lot of goals. I have a lot of things that, you know, I want to accomplish or a lot of things that I said, I got to do a camp this summer. I get it done. I got to raise the money. I got to do this or get a sermon together or, you know, get this kid ready for an exam or audition. There's a lot of goals, get this album done. But the end goal, I really, before I think I even walked in like, I would say what I would call a relationship with God, I didn't have that end goal there. I just 
my so my university uh, entrance, uh, you know, essay about why I want to be a violinist in the University of Michigan. I wrote, um, I want to play play well. But <laughs> <laughs> so they that. were like, uh, for well, <laughs> when I can play well, I'll know. <laughs> oh, I love that. But until then, I just need to keep practicing. I just knew I needed to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, um, I did, I did, you know, go to university for music, but I started lessons very late. Um, so I was basically self-taught. I had a, an amazing orchestra teacher at a school. Um, I grew up in the inner city, you know, um, and then, then we moved to a town that was predominantly white. And in order, I had started playing violin. I'll try to do a quick version of the story, but I started playing violin, in grade six, by accident, um, I wanted to play the saxophone. I always had wanted to play an instrument. And the first time in Lansing, Michigan, which is where I was born, uh, the first time I could sign up for an instrument was grade six. And so I was, I, I was so excited. I just signed up for the first class. And I didn't know the difference between band and orchestra. So I signed <laughs> up for, for orchestra, thinking it was band. And got in and only saw strings. So I'm thinking, well, where are the saxophones? <laughs> they were like, you know, no. So... Bass was the only instrument I recognized, uh, and it was it was like one, and it was gone. There was a cello was the second biggest; they were gone, and then it was like I didn't know what a viola was. I just got stuck on violin, but I didn't care. I was so excited, and then we moved within six weeks of me starting violin. Um, we, I mean, and when I say I was excited, like I played everywhere on the street. I played wow. like it's gross, but I played on the toilet. Like I played <laughs> everywhere. My mom was like, "This is <laughs> something weird about this." But I was so happy to have an instrument. I was so happy to have an instrument. Uh, and so I, uh, uh, we we moved. It was a really bad neighborhood we lived in. So my mom wanted to get us out of it. We moved to a town called Midland, Michigan. And in that town, the kids had played two years earlier. So they told me in order to continue in music, I had to stay on violin because I was two years behind. Um, and I, you know, I had, I, I was, I played football. I was, I was a kind of a rough kid. I, I was, you know, I had a rough streak in me. Um, and so I, I wasn't a great student, you know, I, I, but my teacher in the orchestra in the school that I had moved to saw something there and then just stayed after me. And so I would just go in at lunchtime, um, you know, and, and play. And then she tried to teach me like in grade seven, she tried to say things like, that's a C sharp, not a C natural. And I'd be like, so I don't care. I'm a queen anyway. Hey, this instrument. You know, like, so, so she was like, all right, this one's unteachable. So what she would do, and I, her name is Ann Shellis. I honor her so much. She would actually give up her lunch. She would stay in the orchestra room. I didn't know at the time because, you know, I didn't think teachers were people. But she, would stay, <laughs> yeah. but she was like, oh, she's just a teacher. She doesn't eat. You know? <laughs> but she would give up her lunchtime. And she would just sit there with me and she would act like she, she was doing work, I guess, but she would like sing the corrections. And that was the only way I could receive it. She would say things like, C sharp. And I'd be like, <laughs> you know, and I'd, you know, try to learn it and I would do it, you know. So, so we did that dance for about six years. Um, except somewhere in the middle of it, I did go to International New Symphony, toured Europe. You know, I, I, I didn't know what was challenging on violin because I had no history and I didn't know what was easy. So some things that were very challenging for others, I just could do. I just heard and just mm. figured it out. I could play Zagunerweisen. 
Um, and everyone was like, how can he play the good advice? And that was not stellar. But it was like, they knew I didn't have lessons. Like, how is this kid doing this? Because no one told me it was hard. It was just, oh, but you got to get up there. You got to go down. You got to yeah. you gotta do your bow like this. You got to play harmonic. Oh, this is cool, you know? And, and so, um, so I did tour Europe with a youth symphony. At some point, I was concert master of that orchestra. Played a solo with my, I was the youngest member in our, our town symphony. You know, the little pre, it was like my first professional, pre-professional gig. It paid a little bit. 30 bucks a service or something. You know, so, so, the Midland Symphony. Uh, so yeah. And then so from there, I went into music um, because it was the thing I couldn't imagine not doing. It wasn't because it's what I wanted to do. It yeah. was what I did. I played every day. And I was going to go into law. And that same gentle, amazing teacher who actually studied with Suzuki, like your pictures on the wall, of her and Suzuki, and I was like, is that your husband? You know, like, <laughs> I was oh so ignorant. I had no idea about nothing. <laughs> I love that. Her husband's this older Japanese guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. But uh, she, was, she was orchestra teacher of the year in Michigan. I was just so blessed. That's, I look at the hand of God on my life because to have placed me so ignorantly in the hands of such an amazing teacher who knew how to teach without teaching. That is skill. Like, yeah. that's the only way I was able to do it because I didn't have my first legit private lesson until I was 17. Well, she tried to teach me. I was terrible. I was a terrible private student. So she she, she quit on that and then just kind of did what she was doing before. <laughs> but yeah, I was going to go into law. I was going to go into teaching uh, because I had had amazing teachers. And then she said, you know, if you go into law, you won't be able to play the violin every day. And I was like, oh, that's not an option. And I just, <laughs> I'm going into music. I'm going into music. And that was it. Wow. Uh, I, I went to the University of Michigan. I auditioned. Uh, I auditioned at three schools, got into two of them, Indiana University, University of Michigan. And I had an audition at Oberlin. And then the day before, I was like, yeah, I don't want to go. And I just oh, didn't wow. show up. I didn't show up. Uh, I had someone offer me a full scholarship at a school in Michigan. Um, that I didn't want to go to, so I never called them back. I didn't realize how insulting that was. So I, you know, I, I, I didn't know what was uh, my. But that teacher had tried to set up a whole university program for me, and I didn't even catch it, and I just <laughs> never called back. And so, uh, yeah. So you know, uh, it was um, it was a lot of ignorance getting into it. But once I got into school, there was just like this heaven of like. I get to do music all day. No history, no math. It was music history, but, you know, I didn't have to do gym yeah. or swimming or whatever. I just, I can just do music. So I, I practiced, you know, the, the guys that I play in a group with now, met them my freshman year, Anthony and Alex. They really helped me because they had grown up more in music than I had. Um, and they practiced, you know, every day. So my friends were all practicing. So we would just be in the practice rooms. So I really dedicated myself. I had a teacher who really took me through all the fundamentals I had missed. They had accepted me as sort of like, we got to see where this goes with this kid. Like, he's, <laughs> wow. he, he can do more. I, I had done the, what's the piece you, you two would know very well, the Cacciatorian Violin Concerto. Yeah. I loved it. It was so rhythmic and, you know, I just loved it. So I did that for my audition and they're thinking, looking at my you know, resume, and they're like, how is he playing the Cacciatorian Violin Concert? <laughs> like, he doesn't, he doesn't have a teacher. Like, how is he, what's going on there? Like, <laughs> wow. I was like, oh, it's here. It's all the music. This is how I'm playing it. I have the sheet music. It's right here. You know? Um, so, 
Yeah, uh, ministry. So I, that once I started, I didn't. I didn't look back. Eight years of school straight. Undergraduate, wow. uh, you know, did festivals, Meadowmount School of Music, Aspen Festival. Uh, ended up getting, you know, Peabody, the National, what are NOI. I did every every summer. I didn't take summers off. I, I really went eight years straight, like year summer, and and you know, I mean, the thing about violin, I don't know if flute is like this, but you can start late and and still become a professional, but you can't skip any steps. Yeah. There's no skip steps. There's like just everything your hands have to develop and all those things. There was no making up for not having started when I was five. I had to develop it like everything. Um, but I, yeah, I was discouraged at times, but I, I, I never I never did quit. I, you know, um, did not have any idea that I'd be a pastor. That was something that was... Um, I thought I, mean, I was a hip-hop artist more than a pastor. I started <laughs> rapping when I was in grade nine. You know, rap for all those school assemblies. And oh, our first song was oh. called Outer... <laughs> Get this. The song was called Outer Bass. Because we were going <laughs> to take you into Outer Bass. That was our thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> Me and my friend Oki. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was, that was great. So... I loved rapping, but I never put it together with music. I loved so many styles. I always listened. I remember in musicology class hearing um, a Japanese flute CD, and I remember like sleeping to that every night. I remember oh, putting wow. it on a mixtape, and I remember <laughs> my friends in the car listening. We were listening. We had Tupac, and then it was like Chasson poem. And they were like, oh, what is this? this is and then it was like Japanese flute. And they were like, what kind of mixtape is this? Like, this is still all this. Yeah. So that's where the name Adidam came from. John, Adidam, Little John. All day I dream about music. And so, you know, um, as a child, up until I played the violin, the reason I couldn't wait to play an instrument is I've always heard music in my head. Even right now, I would have to like listen for a second and tell you what it is, but there's always a song going. As long as I can remember, even in my dreams, they have background music. And I remember I used to hum all day when I was a child, so much that they thought something was wrong with me. I used oh, to just, wow. just mm-hmm, all day. And so when I, when I got the violin, I stopped humming. It was like I finally had a way to get it out of me. And so that idea, it was never a genre. It was all kinds of genres. Whatever I heard, I just grabbed it. Um, and so they were just hearing. Uh, they were like, I think all day music is going for you. And so that's what they gave me the nickname. Some of my friends, all day I dream about music. Oh, uh, like that's Adidas. so cute. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that. All yeah. day I dream about sandals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sneakers. Sneakers. And I love Adidas too. So I was like, this works. Adi Dom. But the only thing about Adi Dom is that Adi Dom was like a, 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 a cult. And so there was Whoa. this guy named Adi Dom. So for a long time, oh no, <laughs> I would get on MySpace. That's how old I am. Oh I had God. a pop in MySpace page. Let me tell you, <laughs> my MySpace was the bomb. And um, and I used to get like, "Are you follower? Are you another follower of the Lord Adi Dom?" <laughs> and I'd be like, "No, no, no, it's an acronym." No. And then the, one of the best things that happened for me in that name was that Adi Dom died, and it was terrible. He wasn't supposed to die, right? And so they left him. <laughs> he died, and he just, they left him sitting in the compound until his body started rotting because they thought he was coming back. And then they were like, 
Oh, he was not, you know, I guess he was uh, a Buddha. He's supposed to be a Buddha. I know all about this because I'm Googling my own name. <laughs> right, this right. guy. Uh, and so, <laughs> like, uh, so then after he died, then all of a sudden I ranked first without he died. So I was like, <laughs> sorry for you guys, but it's good for me. Got a few uh, new followers. <laughs> yeah, yeah I got, got some new fans. <laughs> I'm still alive for now, so. <laughs> oh Wow. <laughs> yeah, so uh, to wow. fast forward you into how I ended up in ministry, I I did um, in my, I would say in my 20s, I felt like I was doing my best. Um, it's one thing to know what you don't want to be when you come from bad circumstances. It's very different to know what to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then even more, how to be it. And those last two questions, what to be and how to be it, I knew I wanted to, you know, at some point, you know, if I was married, I wanted to be a good husband, but I'd never seen a marriage stay together. I knew that if I ever was a father that I wanted to be a a really great father, but I didn't have a lot of great examples of that growing up. So um, there was a thing of going, you know, I, I was trying my best to do my life the way that I thought was right. And it seemed like I was just making some mistakes over and over again. And so there was, before a ministry, before pastor, before any of these things, there was just a real, for me, like, um, I, I'm going to give I'm gonna give this thing a try. Uh, you know, like, I'm going to give God a try. I'm just going to give him my life. What do I have to lose? It was more of that approach. Mm-hmm. And and then we'll see where it goes. And it was it was uphill. Like, it, it was um, in, a, in, in a challenging way, but also a very good way. And so it started, I'll say, in my mid-20s with just, a real serious, like, I'm going to commit myself to this. You know, a few years after that, um, you know, I, I was married, my wife, Paula, and we met in the same church. And it was kind of a miraculous coming together uh, story for another day, but a really cool, like, one of those God moments where it was like, we were totally unaware and then just sort of like lives just bam. And they just, one, they just matched up. And so we've been married for 15 years, um, you know, and, and, then along that, it was always this idea of like, I won't do this fake. Like I won't, 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 won't serve God or do Christianity in a fake religious way. Um, and so it was always sort of like looking for who wasn't at the table, um, serving those who you know nobody wanted to talk to, or whatever it was, providing space for you know Christian hip hop artists. You know, who were often rejected by the church to perform, just all those things. And then at some point, and everyone used to say, is John a pastor yet? And me and my wife oh, wow. used to just give him his lecture. Everybody is in the pastor. You know, every, you know, some people just serve God. You know, I, the devil is a lie. I ain't doing that. And then they say there's a calling. And I, I remember playing poker with a bunch of Catholic priests at one of my friend's weddings. Wow. Um, and <laughs> they were all drinking beer and, and playing poker. And I was like, not a Catholic, you know, so I'm not a Catholic. And I was just asking them all these questions. I was just up all night like, so you're never going to have sex? I mean, you cool with that? You know, you could drink beer? You know, I don't know. How do you know you want to be a preacher? You know, like, and, and, but I remember them all saying that there's a clear call, you know. And some people run into ministry to run away for life. And some people get like, dr- like almost dragged into it. And I just kept that in my head. And for me, it was a very clear call. It was not subtle. It was like, I'm hearing, you're supposed to do this. And then people that I don't even know out of the blue are saying, oh, it's funny, I was praying for you. And 
And I just got this feeling that you're supposed to be a pastor. And I'm looking at them like I didn't voice this to anyone but my wife. And I know she didn't tell anyone because she didn't want she didn't want to do it. <laughs> she didn't want me to do it really. But she went along with it. And so that's how the calling happened. Um, I ended up, you know, I was ordained in 2019. And so it's a much later thing in my life. And then uh, I serve as an associate pastor at a church, a very diverse church in British Columbia. So anyway, that's my long but short story of uh, music and ministry and how I ended up sitting in this chair today. <laughs> wow. I love that. What I love about it the most is just like, I actually wish people could see you because the, just the joy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were beaming the whole like, time yeah. you were telling that story. And awesome. I just... It made me feel so good when you started with, I really left things open. Like I didn't have a thing that I set out to do. And I always feel a little embarrassed when people, um, either for like college applications and interview, or you're just talking to another musician or someone who's asking about your life. And they're like, well, what do you want to do with music? And I was like, well, who am I to say? There's so many things that could come up that I would be perfectly happy doing. And I feel like if I set out to do this one thing, then I might close my mind to all the other things that could pop up. And like something like this podcast never would have happened if Mm -hmm. Bailey and I were both just like, we're going to do music. We're going to practice like 20 hours a day. Only care about this one aspect of music and art that is in reality, like you said, they're all the same, right? Like... We're, right. We studied music at school and technically we're classically trained, but like we are living as musicians, we are living as artists, we are living as human beings. And so there is no reason why you couldn't see a stop along the way that you're like, hey, I really want to check this yeah. out. And it could That's take right. you somewhere that like, I don't know, I just, it's. It's like our world is so built for people who know exactly what they want to do and yes. then just go and do it. But well, this world, you're right, Serena, like North America. So like we have meteorologists, you know, a lot of places in the world don't have a meteorologist. I was actually talking to a friend of mine what? from Pakistan. What? Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine from Pakistan and, and uh, um, on Saturday and I said, um, you know, we were talking about weather and he was like, you know, the weather when you go outside. That was what he said. He was like, why, why do you have to know in advance? But it's one of those things that... Why do you have to, like, figure out what to wear? Just look out. But for him, <laughs> so for him, it's like it, it made me conscious of that as a cultural value. Like, this West, this idea to, like, know things and then, and it's not saying it's wrong. It just is not universal. Um, for him, you take the day as it comes. If it starts raining, you deal with the rain. If it's a monsoon, you deal with the monsoon. And while for us, that could seem like, but I mean, <laughs> how do you not know what to wear? Or like, you know, yeah. what if you were gonna, like, what if you could prevent it? Or you don't take an umbrella or you don't, but for him, it's like, well, how much energy do you waste trying to control things you can't control? Oh, Bailey and I were just talking, we're talking about this about all this. the time because I'm a control freak and it's not good. Uh, <laughs> but Serena has like helped me and like, I just, it's better now, so much better. But I think it really like was making me sick because we can't control these things. Um, and we have so much to learn from other cultures, especially in North America about that. Um, and I think that that like, I don't know. I just think it's cool and interesting to for us to think about where we are here now because mm-hmm. so much of 
North American, American, really, society is just like, you've got to plan this, and then you do that, and then right. after you go to college, and you do this, and you must do this, and you have to get a good SAT score, and you better take all the, <laughs> the right classes so that you can do this, and then you can get to grad school here, and you have to rub the right elbows and do this and that, and it's like, right. it makes it seem like one small misstep along the way can derail your whole situation, and right. that's what makes people so afraid, I think, and so there's kind of a yeah. freedom to letting go of some of that control, like, like you said with your friend, like if you're able to just walk outside and deal with the weather as it comes every day, then you don't have to spend the first hour of your morning worrying about <laughs> what you're, how you're going to prepare, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And of course, it's good to be yeah. prepared. And But sometimes like I can check the weather all day and it'll still rain and catch me off guard. Yeah. Right? That's right. Do and then I get grandma. upset about it. I'm like, I didn't wear my rain boots. Yeah, and it's like, like why? When you're mad at the meteorologist, like, you liar. That's how you it is. You're such a liar. You don't know anything. <laughs> you said it was going to rain. You know? <laughs> or, like, you know, like, yeah, they'll, they'll be, like, in Vancouver, they'll be, like, you know, it's going to snow, and it's going to be a bad one. And then salt trucks are putting salt all over the streets, and then it's, like, a little drizzle of rain, and you're, like, oh, there's no snow. You got us all. We're ready to, like, yeah, we're, like, we're not going to go into work. You know, my grandma, though, it's funny, because he said that, and I thought of her. I thought, it's not just cultural, it's also like age, because I think I'm of an age where we do try to control more factors in our lives. And, and you know, um, but my grandma, she used to say she felt rain in her bones. And she used to actually, she loved debating with the meteorologist on the news as if they were talking <laughs> person. She's like, he lied. He said it was going to rain, but I don't feel it. I don't feel it in my bones. Or she'd be like, you know, um, now, he said it was going to be sunshine, but no, I feel the rain in my bones. I can smell it in the air. And she was more right than he was. So, yeah, I mean, there is something to it. Now, I do think there's a place for planning. I do think and my friend that, that was talking, he grew up in, in a village where we did the same thing every day. So then it doesn't matter. But if you're traveling, if I'm going to another part of the world, if I'm like there, I, I am grateful to be able to look and go, what has the weather been like there? Oh, I didn't know it's, you know. I remember going yeah. to China and being surprised that it that it was like a lot of the same kind of weather as the northern United States. Mm. If I had assumed that, you know, it was all tropical, like I would have been very <laughs> ill-prepared for Beijing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so I, I I personally like that idea, but it's just of being able to plan. But uh, it just reminds me to um, to plan for the next steps, not for the, like, the, the epitaph of my... <laughs> tombstone you know like uh like i and where is the box for in a university for you know flute player who has a podcast who loves dogs who you know mm -hmm. like um where is that box i think we we do limit ourselves and i, I have met i don't know if you have and, and have you met musicians who got the classical dream and then were totally disillusioned i've met people who got the great orchestra jobs and then were like wow i didn't develop anything else. One of my classmates, we ended up in a symphony together. Uh, I was subbing and she, and she had a job in the orchestra. And we hadn't seen each other in years. And we all went out, um, you know, hanging out afterwards and and went to a bar and uh, I'm sitting there drinking my Shirley Temple or whatever and she's drinking. And and she, uh, and then she, she goes, um, um, like, we're talking, I'm so good to see you. Oh my God. And she goes, I know. I am so unhappy. And I, my heart I, I I could tear up thinking about it now because she got the dream. She got the orchestra job. She won the audition. She, you know, um, <clears throat> and 
but family, uh, but relationships, but something that she was doing that felt like it was, there was just something missing for her. Um, and, uh, you know, I think for her, she's really found those things. It's been really cool to watch. Um, but I I did see that growing up. So I, I do think, you know, what you're saying is totally, totally on. I agree that um, you leave the end open because there was no box for, um, yeah, I want to be a beatboxing violinist, you know, in a trio <laughs> who tours around. And also I want to be acoustic hip hop artist, you know, and I want to be a pastor, but I also want to solo with orchestras and I do want to be a classical violinist. I love classical music and I want to do, and I want to play in orchestras and I want to play chamber music and, and I want to teach, and I want to teach people for free and I want it to be a free camp and and all the things that I (laughs) do and I can do a kid's choir and I conduct the, um, the Island of the Misfit Toys, a choir that like not two people match. We call them the Island of the Misfit Toys. <laughs> you know, from <laughs> and so it's like, but I love them. And they and they do great. And when they sing, and you know, like my career has been able to be so much more because the best I would have done if I set a, a end goal was would be to limit it. Like it would have been yeah. actually, you know what I, I wrote down that I did want to be. What did I say? I wanted to play in the back of the first violin section of a great orchestra <laughs> and play in a salsa band on Tuesdays. That oh, wrote dude. that down. Yeah. In grad school, someone forced me to like, you. okay, you're in grad school. You have to write something down. Like, okay. <laughs> so let's do the back of a good orchestra because I want to play in a good orchestra, but I don't want the pressure of being in the front. And then I don't want to just do classical because I think I'm more than classical. So let's do a salsa band on Tuesday night. <laughs> And oh, I was going to play violin and triangle. That was what I put down. <laughs> violin and triangle. I, I haven't even seen a triangle on a salsa band. Like, <laughs> but in my mind, I'd be like, ding, 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 ding. You know, I've been playing the violin, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave us a review, and consider becoming a monthly donor. You can also follow us on Instagram at creative.baggage and check out our website, creativebaggagepodcast.com.